Hi, my name's Ryan Perry. I'm the pastor at Seneca Baptist Church, and we are so thankful that you're joining us in this online resource. Our prayer for you is that this resource would not replace your active involvement in a local body of Christ, but would rather be supplemental to it. If you are interested in getting further connected to the ministry of Seneca Baptist Church or to giving financially, please visit our website, SenecaBaptist.org. Thank you and enjoy. Mercy there, hey, I'm loud. Mercy there was great. And grace was free. Pardon there was multiplied to me. Come on, somebody. That song preached a sermon. There my burdened soul. Bill, his monitors are way too hot. Jesus Christ. Now, if you are every person, I want you to raise your hand. Do I got any every persons out there? All right. Seneca Baptist Church's goal, their mission, is to help every person. And if you just raise your hand, that's you. To become a more devoted disciple of Jesus. Are you as devoted as you want to be? No, me neither. And man, I don't know about you, but the closer I walk with Jesus, the farther I feel like I have to go. Our goal is to help every person become a more devoted disciple of Jesus. And that's you and that's me. Nobody gets left out of that. If you are left out of that, it means you're not a disciple of Jesus. And that's another conversation that we need to have. How do we do that? How do we as a church plan to help every person become a more devoted disciple of Jesus? We want to declare the gospel of Jesus Christ. Understand, like we said last week, that there's no other message that saves. Amen, somebody? No other message, no other name given under heaven among men by which we must be saved. There is no other message. Isaiah chapter 10 says, not all have obeyed the gospel. And that means we need to declare the gospel more vigorously. We need to be more urgent because people need Jesus Christ. Nobody comes to the Father except through Christ. So we are going to declare the gospel. Secondly, we're going to disciple the believer. 
If once somebody has trusted Christ, the goal of Seneca Baptist is to disciple them, to help them grow. One of the ways we do that is through Sunday school. Sunday school is an arm of discipleship. It, just because you go to a class does not mean you are being discipled. But it's a good start. It's a great start. The third thing we do is then we deploy the church. We deploy the church. We declare the gospel, disciple the believer, and deploy the church. Do you know that the church never existed only to gather on Sunday mornings? The church was always a missional organism. It, was, it always existed to go out. You follow the book of Acts. And if you read the book of Acts, you find the early church was sent on mission, given the Holy Spirit to accomplish that mission, and then they were persecuted out of Jerusalem. And wherever they went, they declared the gospel of Jesus Christ. They discipled the believer, and then they deployed those churches into their communities. And we see the book of Acts. They say, these people who have turned the world upside down, don't you want to see our world turned upside down for Jesus? I want you to understand today that discipleship is a process that involves the whole person. You're going to hear me talk about this a little bit. The head, the heart, and the hands. Discipleship teaches a person how to think and believe, what to value and love, and what to do because of it. I need you to understand today that not all discipleship is Christian. Sounds weird, huh? We are all being discipled by something. The question is not, am I being discipled? The question is, who or what am I being discipled by? And I think the year 2020 was a tough year, but it gave us a really clear picture of what some of us are being discipled by. 2020 was hard. I think one of the things we saw, I mentioned it in my Sunday school class this morning, that our kingdoms got toppled. And when our kingdoms got toppled, we saw what we were being discipled by. Maybe, maybe, now let me ask you a question. What, in, in 2020, what's had the biggest impact on the way that you think? on the way that you act and, and love, and on the way that you live in the year 2020? What's had the biggest impact? Some of us, were afraid to answer that question, aren't we? So, social media. I don't know who said it. Was that Jared? Oh, somebody said it. I didn't say it. I'll pay you whoever said it later. He said social media. Maybe it's the virus. A lot of people have been discipled by a virus this year. We've been, we've been taught how to fear things that we can't see. And guess what? There's coming a, an enemy that, that we can see one day. And when we fear what we can't see, what, what's going to happen when we have an enemy that we can? We're being discipled by something. Church. I'm not talking about... I, 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 this is not a sermon for, for you if you're not a, a part of the family of God. But if you're part of the family of God, I'm, I'm talking to you today. Maybe it's a news outlet. Might have been Fox for a while, and then it was Newsmax. 
Maybe it's politicians. You've been discipled by politicians. Money. Maybe it's a mix of all of them. Jesus defines discipleship like this in Luke chapter 6. I think we've got it on the screen. He says, A disciple is not above his teacher, but everyone when he's fully trained will be like his teacher. You know, what's good about that is if our discipler is Jesus, that's good news. But we need to be careful who we're letting disciple us. We need to be, we need to be careful who we're letting teach us and train us because we're going to end up being like them. I think this should, should cause a holy fear in our hearts. We need to be, I need to be aware of who I'm letting speak into my life and what I'm allowing to teach my head and my heart and my hands. Whoever you give that authority to in your life, you're going to end up looking like them, becoming like. I want you to look at Christendom today. Christianity in our nation, in our world. What's plaguing what we know as the church? What, is, what are some of the things plaguing what we know as the church? Well, I tell you one thing. There's an unkind spirit of criticism inside the church like I've never seen before. I talk to pastors on a regular basis, and one of the things I hear regularly is 2020 gave my church people the right to be critical of everything we do. I have felt more scrutinized in the year 2020 than any year that I've ever been in ministry, and that says something. Not because I've been in ministry for a long time, but because I've been scrutinized. Maybe it's a belief that abortion's acceptable. It's infiltrating the church. A redefinition of God's creation order. It's plaguing the church. We're not just talking about outside the church anymore. We're talking about inside the church. We've got women pastors. Now, I believe women are equal in value and dignity. But I believe there's a created order of roles given within the Bible. There's homosexuality that's invaded the church. And the new movement that you're going to see, if you haven't already, is the transgender movement. I don't, I'm not trying to be political. It's just nothing to do with politics. This has everything to do with discipleship. Fear and panic that's plaguing the church. There's young people leaving the church at the droves, 80% or so. The need to update or explain God's word according to our culture. It's plaguing the church. We've got to explain it away because it doesn't make sense to us or we don't like what it says. Paul describes the problem like this in 2 Timothy chapter 3. I want you to look at the screen. It should be up there. It says, but understand this. In the last days... There will come times of difficulty. I'm, I'm not claiming that we're in the last of the last days. All I know is that we're one day closer than we were yesterday. Will come times of difficulty for people will be lovers of self, lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, heartless, unappeasable, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not loving, good, treacherous, 
reckless, swollen with conceit, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having the appearance of godliness but denying its power. Avoid such people, for among them are those who creep into households and capture weak women burdened with sins and led astray by various passions, always learning and never able to arrive at the knowledge of the truth. Has that verse come alive yet? And that problem is plaguing the pews and the pulpits of our churches. This is not a pastor that gets to say, well, it's y'all's fault. No. The burden of this fault rests on my office. And then our churches. How have we gotten here? I said this last week, I'm going to say it again. The church has failed to declare the gospel. Do you know that God has the power to change lives? I'm not ashamed of the gospel. For it's the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. First for the Jew and then also the Gentile. The the gospel transforms people. And we have failed to declare it. But also the church has failed to disciple the believer to think, to love, and to live like Jesus. Now, if you would grab your Bible and turn to Titus chapter 2. And then join me as we stand to honor the reading of God's Word. Titus chapter 2. I'm going to read verses 11 to 15. You there with me? Amen, somebody? You feel the conviction of God this morning? It says, verse 11, For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions, to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age, waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the, gr- the glory of our great God and Savior Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possession who are zealous for good works. 15. Declare these things. Exhort and rebuke with all authority. Let no one disregard you. Let's pray together. Jesus, we come to you knowing that you are the word of God incarnate. You have written this word, and we ask you to speak this word to our hearts. Holy Spirit, we need you to apply this word to our hearts. We can't understand this word, and and sometimes our hearts are, are so distracted and calloused and cold that we need you to shine the light of Jesus on us, that we might be warmed up. We need you to cut us by your word to expose our intentions and the motivations of our heart. And we need you, Holy Spirit, to apply it so that we leave differently than we walked in. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Please be seated. So I want to talk about discipleship today. Discipleship. I can't tell you how many sermons I've preached on discipleship since I've been at Seneca Baptist, but it's been a number of them. This one was hard. It's hard to, to, to... 
know what to say. I began praying at the beginning of the week, God, what do you want me to say to your people? And sometimes that comes very quickly. And by Monday afternoon, I've got a bulk of my sermon written. This week, that was not the case. And so as, as I prayed through the week, I felt like God gave it to me in increments, and I want to give it to you. I want you to see in this passage that Paul shows us not just the purpose of grace for salvation, but the purpose of grace for sanctification or discipleship. That grace is used for saving us from our sins, but it's also used in transforming our lives today. I want you to see that. That the same grace that can save a person in an instant transforms a person, sanctifies that person day by day, little by little, through their life. I want you to understand that the same grace that saves you, that God is giving the grace to transform you into His image, the image of His Son, from one degree of glory to another. What was begun by grace is not being finished by good works. What, was, what God began by grace, He's continuing by grace. The gospel is not just the diving board that we dive into the pool of deeper spiritual things, but the gospel is the diving board and the pool that we dive into. And the deeper I dive, the more it impacts my life. The deeper I let the gospel permeate my, myself and my soul and my heart, the more transformed I end up becoming. So in this passage, I want you to see three things about discipleship. Three things. Discipleship affects the whole person. The whole person. Head, heart, hands. Head, heart, hands. The whole person. Discipleship is that process where God transforms our whole person. Now, look at the text. It says, For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions. In the ESV, there's two ING words that kind of describe the grace of God appearing. It's the grace of God appearing, bringing salvation, and the grace of God that trains us, training us to renounce all ungodliness. Now, in the King James Version, it, it says uh, something along the lines of the grace of God that saves or bringeth salvation, I think. Gabe's nodding his head with me. The grace of God that bringeth salvation has appeared to all people. That that ing, that saving or bringing salvation is actually an adjective, so it's not a verb at all. And so it's more like the saving grace of God has appeared to all people, and it's training us to renounce all ungodliness and worldly passions. So I want you to see the, the purpose of the grace of God is not just to bring salvation, but to train the believer. Do you see it there? Do you see, am I making this up, church family? Are you with me? Amen? It's a, head, it's a whole person thing. He says, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age. Verse 14 says, Jesus, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself, a people of his own possession who are zealous for good works. You see a head, a heart, and a hands. Now, I want you to remember, what's the great commandment? 
Uh, Jesus was asked a question one day by a, a, a religious teacher. What's the most important commandment? How did Jesus respond? Love your God with all your heart and soul and mind and strength, as Mark chapter 12 says. He says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and your soul and all your mind and all your strength. Now, let's just be honest. Most of us, we tend to be better at one or two of those areas. And we tend to struggle at one or two of those areas. Amen, somebody? Well, there are a lot of us who are very logical, analytical. We are head people. And we like thinking about stuff. Those people often will tend to be low on heart. You think a lot, but you have not much emotional attachment to something. I see people smiling. It's like you've had this conversation with your spouse or you know, your significant other or whatever it is. You've had this conversation. You're high here and you're low here. Now, some of us emotional people, we tend to be huge on our heart. It's all about emotion. I want to connect with the Word, and I get weepy over the Word. I'm not talking about me in specific or anything. But we tend to care less about understanding things, and we tend to care less about what we do because it's all about just love Him, and that's a heart thing. And some of us, we're hands people. Put me in, coach. I'm ready to play. I don't care about all that theology stuff. I don't care about growing. I just want to get dirty and work. Which one are you? I think all of us, we tend, we tend to fall into one of those categories heavier than the other categories. See, the, the hands person tends to become what the church of Exodus is. Uh, the church of Ephesus was in Revelation chapter 3 it says yeah you've done a lot of great things but I have this against you you've, you've forsaken your first love you serve a God that you don't know or love see it's got to be whole person transformation discipleship is the process of God transforming our heads our hearts and our hands to be more like Christ's head heart and hands are you with me church family it's got to be whole person. To learn more information about the Bible in such a way that doesn't help me love Him or push me to action isn't good. In fact, it's evil. That would be the kind of Bible study that Satan would be a part of. I'm going to learn more about stuff that I'm not going to care about nor do. But some of us, we fall into that category. See? It's got to affect our whole person. Discipleship affects the whole person. To serve God with your hands, yet not care to know Him or love Him, is one of Satan's distractions that keep good people from trusting Christ and therefore out of heaven. There are lots of people who have grown up in the church and served the church and been busy in the church, but who are on a path destined for hell. Emotions without understanding lead us sometimes into depression and they are an excuse when I leave God because I don't feel that way anymore. Emotions do not equal salvation. See, it affects the whole person. Many of us have given up on one aspect of that 
pursuit of discipleship. To be more like Jesus in our head, in our heart, in our hands. We should attempt to love God with all of our mind. And we, we're, we as Baptists are not so good at loving God with our mind. We love loving God with our hands, our hearts, souls. But we don't think well about the things of God. When the Bible says things like, on your law I meditate day and night, that just gives a Baptist the heebie-jeebies. We don't meditate on God's Word. Second, I want you to see that discipleship is an ongoing process. An ongoing process. Understand that you never outgrow discipleship. You never outgrow it. You have never outgrown your need for God to transform you again. You've never, you will never outgrow the gospel. You will never outgrow God's word. Well, I've read God's word once, because every time I read it, it becomes more beautiful. Every time I go deeper, the cavern opens up wider. Can, can we just admit today that I'm, praise God, I'm not what I used to be. But I'm still not what I ought to be. Before we can grow, before we can take on the journey of discipleship, I've got to admit outwardly that there are things in my life that do look like Jesus more than they used to, and there are things in my life where I need God to continually refine me. We've never fully arrived. We, we have never made it to our final destination until Jesus calls your number. Many of us, many people, especially, especially seniors, senior adults, some seniors have given up. Many people have stopped hungering for more. They've settled with half-hearted love and half-hearted surrender. And it's time for God's people to step up. And long for more and say, God, I'm, I don't feel like I am what I want to be. And so would you create in me a hunger? Would you create in me this thing that won't be satisfied until I see you face to face? Would you transform me? Would you change me until I am what you want me to be? Many of us are more discipled by the world than we are the word. Let me give you an example of how I know that discipleship is an ongoing process. Well, the Bible uses a, a few metaphors. The Bible uses the metaphor of a potter. A potter, and, and God is the clay. He is our Father. Excuse me, God is the potter and we are the clay. He is the Father. He is shaping us in this world into what He wants us to be. The other uh, metaphor that it uses is a, 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 a metaphor of a refiner. A refiner is one who would take a precious metal and he would put it into a pot and he would place that pot over a very hot fire and he would heat that precious metal until it became a liquid form 
and then all of the impurities would bubble up to the top and he would begin to scoop off the impurities off of that, that precious metal. Somebody once asked the refiner, how do you know when the process is done? He says, when I look over into the pot and in, 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 the, in that place I see my reflection. That's when I know the process is done. When I look in and I don't see impurity, but I see my reflection, that's when we know it's done. I want you to understand that discipleship is an ongoing process. None of us have made it. Look at Paul. In Acts chapter 8, Paul is stoning Christians. He's killing them. He's got the authority given by the, 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 the uh, Jewish faith to cruci- or not crucify, but a stone and, and uh, punish Christians following the way. And then in Acts chapter 9, something incredible happens. Jesus shows up on the road. Jesus transforms Paul's life right there in an instant. He's led away blind. And Jesus, I believe, meets with Paul there on the the roof as he's praying. And then Jesus reveals himself to Ananias and says, Ananias, go talk to Paul. Go tell him what I've done and, and go pray for him that he may regain his sight. Do you think Ananias wanted that discipleship uh, um, uh, uh, task? No. He even says that God, this guy's killing people. I don't want to go talk to him. He says, go. Go. He goes. Ananias begins to pour into the apostle Paul. And then in the same chapter, Paul goes to Jerusalem. And when he goes to Jerusalem, he starts looking for the brothers, and the brothers want nothing to do with him. So who finds him? Barnabas. Barnabas grabs Paul, he brings him under his wing, and Barnabas takes Paul to the Jerusalem church, and Paul becomes a part of the brothers there in Jerusalem. It's an incredible story. That's an ongoing process. If you read the epistles of Paul in the New Testament, Paul starts out, he says, I'm an apostle of the Lord Jesus Christ. His latter letters say, I am the chief of sinners. There's a process going on in Paul. If Paul didn't have it together, Lord knows we don't. Amen, somebody. Paul needed to be discipled. He needed to be discipled by somebody. So why are we still here? Why are we living in these days? Why are we experiencing the suffering and the discouragement and and soon-to-be persecution? Why are we experiencing these things? Because God's not done with you yet, and the way that you refine something is by heating it up. In the process of discipleship or refining is about to get real because becoming a Christian's going to get more difficult. The third thing I want you to see is that discipleship is generational. It's generational. Paul is writing this letter to Titus, and what does he say in verse 15? He says, declare these things, exhort and rebuke with all authority, let no one disregard you. You see Paul encouraging Titus, and Titus he's saying, declare these things to other people. It's generational. Here's what I mean by that. Number one, it's not programmatic, it's personal. Listen to me, church family. The church has been guilty of making discipleship a program rather than a relationship. Now, there are programs that can help accomplish discipleship. But discipleship without a relationship is not going to accomplish much. Discipleship in the scriptures has always been when one person brings another person under their wing and begins to pour into that person. It's 
personal. It's relational. Second thing I mean by generational is that it's from one generation to another. Read the book of Acts. And again, you see Ananias and Barnabas uh, leading Paul. You see in, in uh, the latter chapters, I think it's like 16, 17, or 15, 16, 17, you see Apollos rise up. This man who's eloquent and full of wisdom, yet he's only heard of the baptism of John. And so he travels to Ephesus and he begins to preach Jesus Christ, but he's only heard of the baptism of John the Baptist. And so when Paul goes to Ephesus in, in Acts chapter 19, he gets to Ephesus and he says, Hey, have you heard about the Holy Spirit? And they say, No, we've only heard about the baptism of John. I want you to understand something. Who Apollos was, he began to disciple the Ephesians, and the Ephesians turned out to be just who Apollos was. So Priscilla and Aquila grab Apollos and explain to him the way more accurately. And Paul goes into Ephesus and he begins to explain the way more accurately to the church in Ephesus. It's generational. Be, hear, me, hear me very clearly. Who you are right now, if you disciple somebody, is exactly what they're going to turn out to be. Is that scary? I don't know that the world needs another me. See, remember what Jesus said in Luke 6, a disciple, when he's fully trained, is going to be just like his teacher. Do I want somebody to become what I am? You want to know? I think that's one of the reasons that a lot of Christians don't disciple people. That's their excuse. I don't, I don't know how, and I don't know that I want them to become like me. There's only one person that can change that. This gets practical for some of us. Some of us, are, you, you guys are here, some of you are watching, but for parents, this is very practical. I, I said earlier that young people are leaving the church in droves. They, you know, statistics still say that about 80% of young people who are raised in the church by the time they've spent a year or two in college have left the church for good. Why is that? Well, um, a lot of research has been done on that, and here's what they say. They say that, that uh, the, the problem is that these children are coming out of homes where the parents are not actively engaged in a relationship with Jesus Christ that is valuable to them and lived out before their children. So they're raised in church, but they're discipled to be just like their parents are. Parents, you have the greatest mission field in the entire world under your roof. You feed them every day, at least twice. <laughs> We feed miles at least 13 times a day. You're sheltering them. You're feeding them. You're caring for them. It is your highest responsibility as a parent to train them up in the way that they should go. And when they get old, they won't depart from it. It's not taking them to church. It's showing them by your life that Jesus is the most valuable thing that you've ever had. And I'm nothing without him. Parents, 
disciple your children. And I don't just mean read the Bible to them occasionally. I mean teach them. Let the Word affect their head and their heart and their hands. Let them work with you and serve with you. Are you going to get as much done? No way. But I am not concerned about anybody out there. I'm concerned about the three that God has given me as children. And if I succeed at raising three children to love Jesus with all their hearts, then I will die and lay my head on a pillow, and I think God will look at me and say, Well done, good and faithful servant. Parents, it's time for us to step up and raise our children to be devoted disciples of Jesus. In the middle of all that, parents, you have been, your children have friends. When the day comes and you can invite the, the friends and their families over, another given mission field, begin to pour into those people. Love those children. Pray for those children. Do you want to know how I got to church and eventually came to Jesus? It's because I was discipled by parents that were not my own. I was taken to church by a family that I did not share their last name. But they loved me enough. The one who told me how to have a relationship with Jesus was Miss Martha Rodenbeck. Mama Rodenbeck. She, she taught me how to pray and how to read God's word. And I'll never forget it. Parents, you have a built-in mission field. Now, for the rest of us, it might be a little harder to find our mission field, but you don't have to go that far. Some of you are no longer, uh, no longer have children in your home, but you have the ability to love and pour into your grandchildren. Well, my grandchildren are still so young. It's never too early. Liz was telling me about what Ella said this week. Ella's our three-year-old little girl. And she, Ella said, how did Jesus save us from our sins? He died on the cross. She was asking it like a question. Liz looked at her and she said, well, yeah, exactly. <laughs> That's how he did it. Every night I lay down on the pillow with Ella when it's my turn to take her to bed and I sing songs like, there is a name I love to hear. I love to tell its worth. It sounds like music in my ears. The sweetest name on earth. Oh, how I love Jesus. Oh, how I love Jesus. Oh, how I love Jesus because he first loved me. And my joy now is I just start it. Ella, sing me some songs. And I just sing the first line. sing the song, Jesus to Calvary did go. His love for mankind to show. We're pouring into our children. And it doesn't matter how young they are. They're, they're created to learn. 
They're created. They're, they're more prone than we are to know God. Pour into them. It's generational, which means it's personal, it's, it's relational, and it's something that we give down from one generation to another. So I want to ask you the question, I, who are you pouring into? Here's what I believe is, is coming in the days ahead. If we're going to see a revival in churches, it's not going to happen through programmatic discipleship. People out there are not going to beat down our doors to get in here. What I believe is going to happen is when the church declares the gospel of Jesus, when every individual begins to share Jesus and disciple believers through deploying the church into the communities, that's when we're going to see revival. There could come a day where it's illegal to gather like this. And I believe it's coming sooner than we hope. And if that's true, what, how's the church going to grow? We don't have a children's program. We don't have a Sunday school program. How's the church going to grow? We've been relying on church leaders and other teachers to do our job for far too long. It's time for every believer to stand up and say, my responsibility is to disciple people. He did not give the Great Commission in Matthew chapter 28 to only church leaders. He gave it to every person who was named a disciple there. That's you and me. Who are you pouring into? So as we close, I, I want to give you a couple practical questions that I hope will cause you to consider. First, who or, who or what are you being discipled by right now? It's not a good thing. Who or what are you being discipled by right now? What aspect of your life, your head, your heart, or your hands, what aspect of your life are you struggling to love God with most right now? In what ways have you settled for less than God's best for you? And who are you pouring into? And if the answer is nobody, may God convict us. I was meeting with a church leader. few days ago for breakfast and I said I've been thinking about this and I haven't been willing to say it yet but I said tell me if I'm off base the church as we knew it in 2019 is dead and is never coming back and he said I agree wholeheartedly So if what you're longing for is to go back to the church of yesteryear, not pro, I'm, not, I'm not prophet foreteller, but I don't believe we're ever going to get back to what we were five years ago or two years ago or 20 years ago. But I believe we can get back to what Jesus wanted us to be. 
Would you stand with me? Would you just begin to ask yourself those questions? Who are you being discipled by? What areas have you settled? Which, which areas of your life are you struggling to love God with? And who are you pouring into? Would you just have a moment alone with the Lord right now? And answer those questions between you and Him. Miss Margaret, would you come lead us? Mr. Tom, come lead us. And you meet with the Lord right now. If you need to come and meet with the Lord and ask for forgiveness from being discipled by anything and everything, you come meet with the Lord. If you want to admit to God, God, I have forsaken your commission to make disciples. I'm struggling to love you with my head, heart, or hands. I've settled in this way. I've gotten complacent in my Christian life. You do that right now. Lord Jesus, would you speak to us? I pray I've said all that you wanted me to say, and I pray that you would do what I'm unable to do right now. In Jesus' name, amen. As, you're, as we're singing, you meet with the Lord.